You're not the boss of me now, and you're not so big. Welcome to Life is Unfair, the Malcolm in the Middle podcast, where usually we watch and then talk about an episode of Malcolm in the Middle. Today is going to be a little different, as we have Michael Globerman on the show with us today. Uh, hi, I'm Jake. I'm David. I'm Eric. And I guess I'm Michael. <laughs> Perfect. First of all, thank you so much for coming on the show today. A- absolutely. I-, I am always flattered and amazed that people... People still love and care about the show. So anytime anyone wants to talk about it or anything like that, I am happy to go on and on and on. Well, it was well, a big uh, stretch on my part because I, I saw that you're you know very active in the Malcolm subreddit. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll reach out to him. And the worst he can say is no. I've been, I, so I just, yeah, you got to swing for the fences, right? And so I love to lurk <laughs> around and see what people are saying. And then if it's something interesting or someone says something nice about an episode that I wrote, I'll, I'll say, oh yeah, I, I wrote that. And then I felt back because I went back and like my daughter looked at my history and she said, there were a whole bunch of posts of yours in a row that are just like, I wrote that. I wrote that. I wrote that. <laughs> like, I'm like just this, this hog for attention. Just, I mean, it was over like a two year thing, but <laughs> fair enough. I mean, you're proud of your work and rightfully so. I mean, I, as I mentioned to these guys, the, the reason that I reached out to them in the first place was because of zoo. That was my first interaction with the show. I was homesick from work one day and I just happened to, to catch it on and I just fell in love with the show and got my wife to watch the the whole run with me and we watched it all the way through several times now and so Zoo was my all-time episode which I know you wrote and also the first episode that I joined these guys to record with was Hal Quits which is another one of your episodes so you're uh, big on my list of writers for the that's, show. That's awesome. I will, I will tell you that Hal Quits is probably my favorite underappreciated episode. I just loved all the storylines in it and I still I I think I probably answered several posts from people saying what was what was he painting what was it what did it look like and uh, <laughs> I love that people care about that and I love the the school bus part with uh, Malcolm with the song when he gets on and it's all Malcolm's on the bus and stuff and and I believe that yeah that's the one where Francis goes to work at uh, at uh, what Lucky the, the Lucky Aid Lucky Aid yes and he's forced to work with all these clowns and I actually just worked with the with the actor who played Garcatch <laughs> okay which is he, he was I, I write for a sh- uh, for the neighborhood now and he he was brought on and I'm looking at him go, he looks from and I recognized him and I went up to him and I said I wrote an episode of Malcolm that you were on and he goes Garcatch he remembered <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing that is uh still remains my favorite episode to date that we've run across is Hal Quits I love that episode thank you thank it's you. a fantastic episode and we are actually also big fans of that actor he's, he was also in a uh, Scrubs and Cougar Town. We actually talked pretty extensively about him all day really? when we covered that episode. Yes. That's funny. He was great in that. And I lo- I just love that. Uh, yeah, they put the guy who didn't speak English in charge. <laughs> that was amazing. I, I love that. And it's it's such a good role for that actor, too. He always plays that kind of like weird, sort of awkward, but but seemingly brilliant socially type of person. I, I, I absolutely loved it. So having him play Garkesh and seeing that, you know, from 20 years ago, seeing that he's still doing that is, is yeah, kind of awesome. Yeah, yeah. I guess it isn't as underappreciated as I thought, but thank you. Not here, anyways. Not here. Yeah, not a captive <laughs> audience here. Uh, okay, well, uh, with that, let's roll into our questions. We actually have a couple that specifically pertain to that episode. Oh. <laughs> we do. You've sort of already answered one, and then we were going to ask what your favorite episode you had written was. Calquits is probably, it's, it's 
probably top three, probably top two. I think graduation, I, I spent the most time on graduation and the the final speech in that backyard with, with him and Lois, where she talked to him about how he's going to be president and why it's so important and stuff. And I, I, I spent three days writing that, that speech and I cried during it. And it, that probably meant the most to me. I didn't, I didn't love the episode as much. I mean, I think, I think it gave a nice ending to everyone, but it just didn't, it wasn't as comedically fun to me. It was a nice, it was a nice closure, but I'd probably say how quits. Okay. That speech and graduation is fantastic. I think it really makes that finale. Thank you. So your, your work definitely shows. Thanks. Well, that could kind of spiral nicely into one of the questions that I had written down to ask, which I don't want to jump ahead all the way to the ending of the show, uh, but I had actually written at the risk of spoiling things for David, who is going through it for the first time. Did the writers have uh, any outlines for an idea for an eighth season, if it were to be picked up again, or like, where would you have gone with some of the characters? Hmm. I think we knew going into the seventh season that this, we definitely knew it was the last season. So the, the seventh season was actually very interesting and different because Linwood Boomer, who created the show and was there for the entire run. Actually, he and I, actually, I was the only writer who was there from beginning to end. Linwood even left earlier than that. But uh, at the beginning of the seventh season, he came to us. It was probably a weekend when we were breaking stories for the season. And he said that uh, he had promised his wife and his doctor that he was that he would quit because he had given his blood, sweat and tears to the show for the last six years. He had worked 70 hour weeks and was had killed himself for six years to uh, to create like the most brilliant show on television to me and in my mind. But and so he was done and left. And we immediately as soon as he literally within an hour or half an hour of him walking out, we had our writer's assistant pull out every story that he had thrown out and said, no, this is too crazy. We're not doing this. We can't do it. Because And it gave us like eight episodes right off the bat. We had, okay, we're sending Reese to China to meet it, to fight his pen pal. And you know, all these, all these stories that Linwood had said, we're not doing that. We did them in the, in the seventh season. So I think a lot of people think the seventh, seventh season went a little crazy and it probably did on purpose. And so we, I, we knew it was Malcolm was already a senior in high school. It just seemed the right place to end it. And there were also a lot of fiscal reasons. The, the, all the contracts were up to renew it for another season um, would have cost Fox a lot, a lot of money. So, and I mean, the ratings were still good and everything, but it was just, it was just a fiscal decision. It was already in syndication. It was just time to wrap it up. So it wasn't like we were disappointed at that point or, you know, if there was, we didn't leave anything on the table. I don't think there was nothing like, oh, we wanted to start Malcolm in college or, you know, or, or whatever else, or see, you know, see Jamie grow up and learn to talk or whatever. I don't know. It, it was uh, just, uh, it was time, to, it was time to go and and we left on our own terms. And I think we, everyone was happy with uh, how it ended. That's great. That actually answered another one of my questions because I wanted to know, because it is such a satisfying ending. I mean, yeah, I still felt like there was a lot of life uh, in the show and it could have continued on, but it, it did at least give us a, a resolution. And so I wanted to know how quickly in advance you guys knew and you already answered beginning of season seven, you knew that that was it. So we knew, and I mean, we didn't know exactly, we knew we were going to probably end with, with uh, Malcolm's graduation. We didn't really figure out how, you know, how everyone's storylines would end and everything like that. But we had a, we had a whole season to figure it out. And I think for the most part, we left everyone happy or Hal and Lois realizing they're having another baby and not happy, but it was just, we, we thought it was, we, we, we were, we were, 
at least ourselves happy with where we left everyone. So I always say, David is, uh, he's getting spoiled a little bit, but I said, see what you have to look forward to all these. Uh... Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, no, <laughs> so no, no, you're no, fine. <laughs> Circling back around to Hal Quits, I, I have a fairly specific question on the episode. It's something that uh, over, over the course of discussing it, we thought we caught something that might be a reference. Was Hal slapping his naked body on the canvas a reference to the Big Lebowski? Um, no. <laughs> I I hate to disappoint. That, that episode was directed by Ken Quapis, uh, who directed a bunch of episodes. And he's a great, great guy. And he always brought so much to the episodes he directed. And a lot of those were just things they, I mean, in the script, I forget what, what we wrote. That, I, that was an episode. I, I was still with my partner at the time, Andrew Ornstein. So we'd written that together. I don't remember what was exactly in the script, but he had brought all the visual like the him running a camera and all this. And I think we did that he poured that he poured paint over his head and then ran at it. I don't think I don't know if we I, I don't remember if that was that was his or something that was actually in the script. So if if it was his, it could have been a, a reference to the Big Lebowski, but I, I certainly don't remember doing that. Okay. Well that answers that one. I, I do have <laughs> another question about that same episode, because again, Hal quits is my favorite. Um, and this is when we, we, while we were recording, we said if we ever got the chance to sit down with one of the writers, we'd ask, why was Hal Quits the last appearance of the Krellboyne eraser head? Or was there a reason? There, there was a reason. The reason was the kid was a terrible actor. It was from the beginning. It was, he was just, the, it, it, you really could not get him to, to, uh, there's something that we made fun of. I forget what the line was. Uh, we made fun of it for years in the room because we just couldn't get him to say the line right. And he just put the wrong emphasis on the word every time. And we, t- we probably did an hour of doing that take and we just couldn't get him to do it right. I mean, he was the, a perfect look and it's, it's, it's amazing that you that you tracked like when <laughs> when he raised your head disappeared. But uh, it was a loss for me because uh, there's something called character fees, which means that if you create a character, like if a character appears in an episode that you wrote for the first time, every time they appear on a, on a, a subsequent episode, you get paid about five hundred bucks per per character. So I happened to create almost all of the Krellboins because they all showed up. Most of them showed up for the first time in Krellboin Picnic, which I wrote. Mm. So, Another great episode. Thank you. So there were like five or six of them. So whenever there would be a scene with all the Krellboins, I'm making three grand, whether I wrote <laughs> or not. So I was all for <laughs> all Krellboin all the time. Get Fair enough. Uh, yeah, you should have done a uh, spinoff. Krellboins, the later years. <laughs> and we would definitely watch it. I, I would be in on a Lloyd and Dabney show right now. <laughs> yeah, for sure. They were great. We had, there was one, I think there was one I named after my sister-in-law, Flora, in uh, in Krellboin Picnic, which I don't know if she ever showed up again, but Dabney and Lloyd were definitely were definitely winners. We had them over and over again. They were probably they were better actors than than uh, than some of our some of our regulars. <laughs> That's interesting to know. And that's, that's, I, I appreciate you answering that. And also see, we're, we're men of our words. We finally got the chance to ask the question. There we go. No, go. no evil emails to me saying I forgot something again. Uh. There you go. I remember <laughs> one of my, my, one of my favorite jokes from, the, from that script is when Dewey comes to Reese and says that uh, there's this girl who's been picking on him and calling him Ooey Dewey. And Reese says, all right, we'll just have to come up with some name to call her. What's her name? Regina Tucker. We'll come up with something. We'll figure something out like you I thought that was incredibly clever, and I, I love that little moment uh, with 
Reese there. I, of course, I love Reese just in general. Reese and Dewey are some of my we're, favorites. They were always fun to write for. Our our favorite our favorite characters to write for were always uh, Hal and Craig. Hal is amazing. Hal, Hal's amazing. Uh, I don't know if you guys know, but Hal in the pilot he had very few lines, and in Linwood's mind, Hal was based on his father. It was basically an absentee father who, as Linwood put it early on, was always building a spaceship in his head, mm. and so just like not paying attention to what's going on and stuff like that. But then we ended up with Brian Cranston. Hmm. And we saw very quickly what he can do and what he brought. And we very quickly changed that character. That's amazing. Very hands-on as an actor. And so, yeah, it was another one of my questions. Did he go to the writers and try to put his influence in anything? Did he ask for certain scenarios that Hal would want to do or anything like that? Well, um, yes, he did. Well, all right. So this show was based on Linwood's childhood. These were all people who were in, in his family and and some were, you know, I would say exaggerated, but made more palatable because he had a very bad childhood. But so his parents were, all the characters were, the, the whole show was in Linwood's head. He saw it, he saw the show and made, show, made sure the show was exactly what he wanted. And there was a point when, when Brian and Jane together came in to talk to Linwood about their characters and you know, they're, they they both had thoughts and stuff like that. And Linwood very quickly, the term he used, the way he described to us is I'm not, as I'm sure not what he said to them, but he basically told them that they were meat puppets and will say what he wrote. So um, later on, they started to have more of a, you know, a say and stuff, but, but especially early on, it was, it was what we wanted them to be. And then they, they, they eventually, you know, brought their, their own, their own things to, to it. And uh, I will say that Jane got a little bored at, at, at some point where it was, she would just say, all right, you know, I'll do whatever you want. And she would stop reading the scripts uh, ahead of time. And she would, wouldn't learn her lines really. She would put cheat sheets around the kitchen. So when she's, supposed to be washing dishes she's got the a tiny little version of that page in front of her so she knew her lines so wow but to <laughs> her credit it doesn't ever look like she was yeah exactly no she uh no she pulled it off and it was you know sometimes we'd have to she'd be doing a scene and she'd be reading lines and like i'd have to go over and say are you know in that last scene someone died so you're supposed to be a little sadder because she had, like we didn't shoot it in order the script you know so we'd sometimes shoot a you know page 30 of a scene page 30 of a script before the beginning so she'd come in and she'd like like i said she'd only know or have read that day's what the script we're doing for for you know the, the six pages we'd only get like six or seven pages done a day out of a, out of a 35 page script so she had kind of memorized those but had her cheat sheets but really had no idea what the story was <laughs> that's very interesting to hear and yeah like eric said it, at least as far as we've gotten it definitely you can't tell at all she she seems very invested and the acting seems on point so yeah kudos to her she was she always was able to bring it i mean they all were it was really there are i've i've read brilliant scripts and i've you know and i've seen how they can get ruined by poor casting and stuff and this was just an example of i mean do you want me to tell you guys how i got involved with the show i can i can get into this a little bit in that uh I was coming off my fourth season of uh, Third Rock from the Sun, me and my partner, and we were kind of we we're kind of burnt out from the show. It was, it was still go, it was still going on. It was going to go for another couple of years, but we kind of felt, you know, they'd run out of the interesting human emotions that these aliens can discover, and it's like, what's next? Like on we, I don't know. It's like you know, <laughs> the very very final ones, or it's. So we thought it was time to go, and um, we had met with. Uh, 
Tracy Katsky, who was an executive at uh, New Regency, and she was telling us how they have this new pilot and how fantastic it is and how brilliant it is and how different it is. And she gave it to us to read and we read it and she was right. It was like by far the funniest, most brilliant and just most unusual pilot I had ever I had ever read. And like what was going on mostly at, at the time, this was, you know, Seinfeld was huge and they were giving shows to every stand-up comic on earth and everything, everything was multicam and everything was just basically talky-talky and it was just, everything looked the same on, on TV at the time. And this just like just blew everything out the window. And, and we said, we got to, we got to take a meeting on this. And we went in. At the, so that was the, that was the good news. The bad news is we it was written by Linwood Boomer, who we had worked with on third rock. The first season, he was on the first season of third rock, but he got fired off the show. And me and my partner were just staff writers. So we just like, we're trying to avoid all the drama. We didn't want to take sides. We didn't want to do anything. So we didn't say anything when he left. And I remember him carrying his box out. So we were just, he's, he's got to hate us. I mean, we never, we never, called him to say we're you know, are you okay we're sorry whatever and before we before we saw, saw him what you do generally when you go in and meet on a show is you go in a half hour early and you watch the episode beforehand so you have something to discuss with the, with the showrunner before and it's usually this weird awkward thing because most pilots are terrible and most and you go in and you're you're put in a room and they put the they put the episode on and the guy you're about to meet is usually in the next room and you don't know if people are listening and you you have to fake laugh whether whether you think it's funny or not and i i can't count how many times i've like just been like pacing around while the sh- while the show is on trying to think of what can i say good about this show in in like 6 minutes i have 5 minutes to think of something good to say but we watched this the show and it was even better than the script it was just so funny and so different and you know the, it, the just everything was just new and 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 crazy with the the whip pans and the talking to camera and it's like nothing i'd seen before and, and uh, we said we got to get on this show and then linwood came in and he's like hey guys how's it going and it's like <laughs> he had no memory it was like we didn't bring it up he didn't bring it up that was great and uh, and we got the job and that's what i did for the next seven years so right. yeah so um i'm sorry there was a question that i was answering i think <laughs> <laughs> I got your real was it one? I can't remember. I mean, I think you actually answered the question I asked, but that thank you for letting us know that. That's actually one that I didn't even think to ask, but that's that's no, that was a fantastic kinda. story. Yeah. You've actually answered quite a few of our questions just uh through your storytelling too. Wow. <laughs> Which is uh, perfect. Absolutely. So the next one I have is uh obviously Malcolm in the Middle uh has great writing for its characters, uh most of whom are children. Why do you think your uh, writer's room was so good at writing children compared to other sitcoms um, and was it challenging to write for such young characters I would say that for me and and I think for a lot of the other writers who started off we were it was a very male heavy writing staff we had we had some women along the way we had and at the beginning we had Maggie Bander and, and Bonnie Langer but it was it was mostly guys who had brothers and so we all really just mind our childhoods and I I mean, for, for stories and also I think we just knew how we knew all the dynamics because we all had, you know, there was the wise guy, there was the bully, there was the one who kept kept cover and stuff like that. And we, we all just kind of 
we all just basically went back to our childhoods and and channeled that and it was i don't i i don't know if i'd say that we were we wrote children better than than anyone but i think we we wrote children as characters rather than as just the basically what was mostly on tv were you know families and the kids would come in and say some smart aleck thing or you know have some say something that's you know an adult line out of a kid's mouth which is always adorable and hilarious and that was basically the what the children were used for for like blows and scenes and stuff like that there weren't really i guess the cosby show had interesting children and stuff but they weren't that young but we were the first show that really followed the i mean at least at the time there were i'm sure there were others but that basically literally got into the lives of, of these kids and stuff and followed storylines i mean we'd have in every most shows would do you know an a story and a b story and maybe a short runner and we'd have six seven stories going on in every episode following like every every character all the kids and stuff like there must have been I can't think of how many stories never never aired because we had to cut an entire storyline out of an episode because we always ran long. Yeah, that was going to lead into my next question is that what prompted me to reach out to you was you had posted a comment about the episode that was just discussed on the show, season three, episode four, where Francis meets a Unabomber type and you said that that hole was cut. Can you give us the background on that? Okay, I'll tell you. Well, you know, the, the whole concept of Francis, the whole, con- we, we started him off in military school and that was because we were dealing with, with child actors and there's only so many hours a day they're allowed to work because of laws and stuff like that. It, in the good old days, we were able to abuse and, and you know, milk kids for for 12, 14 hour days. But by the time I could, this show came along, you can, only, you can only use them for about like eight hours a day. So we needed something that you can cut away to that had none of the kids in it and stuff like that. So that was the whole reason for military school. And that was the whole reason for all the all the Francis storylines, whether it was start off at military school and then in Alaska and then the dude ranch. And I mean, if you think about it, it was basically it, it's the Francis show was basically its own show inside another show. It often we, we tried to connect it sometimes with a phone call or something like that, but often it had nothing to do with it. And suddenly you're like in in Alaska with 30 with like 20 other characters and it's like its own show and stuff, you know, that had nothing to do with the other one. But was so we started off. So he was in uh, a lot in uh, military school. And then it was time we kind of ran out of story. I mean, Commandant Spangler was a great character to to write for. We had a lot of fun with him and kept chopping off limbs and losing eyes. <laughs> but it, it was time to move on. And uh, uh, we decided, which was probably a giant mistake, because we really, we struggled like hell to come up with the Alaska stories. But we decided to have him head for Alaska. And we came up with an idea that he's somewhere in the, you know, the woodsy, wild Midwest, like Vancouver or something like heading for for Alaska and lost in the woods and comes upon this cabin. And there's a a guy who lives in the cabin. The guy saves him. He was like freezing to death. And the guy saves and brings it back to his cabin. And it turns out it was a Unabomber type loner who (laughs) had just finished his own manifesto. And he said... (laughs) You know, I've got a lot of ideas. And he showed it. He, he, he showed, we saw the book, his manifesto. And he said to Francis, you know, I got a lot of very radical ideas in here, but I just, I just don't know if I should go through with any of this stuff. And he asked Francis, will you read it and tell me your thoughts? And Francis, sure. So the guy gives him the, his manifesto and, and goes off hunting or something like that. And Francis being Francis just screws around and does nothing, doesn't read it. And the guy comes back. And the guy says, well, what do you think? Did you read it? He goes, of course I read it. I think this is brilliant. I think you should absolutely go for it. I think 
<laughs> I think you should try, you should do every, follow your dreams, dude. And it, it's basically telling the guy to go bomb something. <laughs> and, and the guy says, really? Because I was, I was about to give up. And, and Fred's like, never give up. I'll go for it. <laughs> and the guy's like, thanks. And I, I will. And then Fred says, boy," And he he heads out and continues on his way up to Alaska. And as, as he's walking away, we see the FBI coming in to raid the guy. <laughs> and, we had, and we had Stacey Keach played the character and it was a it was a really fun story and it was put in in that episode and then it was set to air right after 9-11 ah i was about to ask and, yeah, so yeah what happened what happened so it was set to air right after 9-11 and we're like oh and stacy keach calls it you're, you're not airing that right you're, there's no way you're going to air that and we're like no no we're not and so we just yanked it it never saw the light of day i forget what got put in place of it but of something we i don't remember something we wrote really quickly or we pulled from another script or or whatever but uh yeah that 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 got buried very quickly yeah i mean that seems reasonable considering the the timing but that sounds hilarious uh and definitely on par with what we've come to expect from francis uh having i'm still experiencing the transition to alaska in the show right now uh so most of my exposure to francis is the military school and i love commandant spangler uh and just the visual and and just the gags that that come with him is amazing right we i just rewatched a I don't know why it popped up on my uh, YouTube feed. It was the pool game <laughs> between the two of them that they them both trying to lose at the end, playing shooting brilliant trick shots. And uh, I mean, just thinking back on that, I'm like, I the, the show I, I write on right now, we basically have. If we're lucky, we can fit in two swing sets and maybe have two or three guest characters. And back then we had like 20 sets <laughs> per episode. And sometimes we'd have a hundred extras <laughs> and, and probably like 20, 20 speaking parts. It was it was really something that you just don't see anymore for budget reasons and stuff. Like I mean, we it like the show I'm on right now, it, we we shoot it well before before COVID. We would we'd shoot it in front of a live audience on on Tuesday nights. It would take about five or five and a half hours to shoot and and then we'd edit it. Malcolm, it took six full twelve hour days to do twenty-two minutes. Wow. Wow. That's yeah. I can see why Linwood Boomer was driving himself so crazy making it. It was, yeah. I mean, we 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 worked we worked hard. It wasn't like I come off Third Rock where we'd have a run through at, at three o'clock and then we'd get notes at like five and we'd work till midnight or one o'clock doing the rewrites and stuff like that. And that was normal. This show, if you weren't the co-EP on set, which I was very often, start at 10, we were out by 7 o'clock, something like that. If you were on set, you had to be on set, on location, sometimes acting or wherever. You know, we shot a lot, I don't know, for whatever reason, we had a lot of stories with deserts or stuff like that because we were in acting. <laughs> a lot for whatever i think that's where the ranch was also but we'd have you have to be there at seven and you're there for 14 hours it was brutal if you were the co-ep on set it was it was not a good week for you and then you had to watch all the dailies you would get it would be a terrible week and then for the for the next week after that every few hours someone would come into your office with a cassette and put it on your table and it was it would be like an hour and a half of of dailies that we had to watch to look for the best takes of stuff so it would be another once you're done with the day of work you had to watch an hour of of (laughs) spent it was could be rough but i'm not complaining that's the reward for hard work is more work right (laughs) exactly exactly life is unfair (laughs) that's right (laughs) as someone once said and i think for whatever reason lynn would designate it the slogan for the show was 
everyone suffers. So, and uh, to some extent, that was true. It's interesting. That's to hear incredible. You, it is. It's interesting to hear you say, too, that uh, Linwood bo- uh, based so much of this off of his own childhood, because uh, watching through, there is so much of the show that is very similar to Jake and I and the way we grew up. And so it, it's really resonated with us. I think it resonated with everyone who has brothers. So, I mean, the, the characters were the characters were based on all of his siblings and his parents. His mom was was lowest to a more a less funny extent. Same mm. same kind of person, but not in a funny way. And then we all just unloaded our childhoods with with all our stories and the cold opens and stuff. Like I remember when one of the episodes I wrote, Grandma Sue's one of the writers, his his mother in law sued him and his wife. So so we we, we took a lot from. We took a lot from our real lives. And then we also just, I mean, none of us ever had a stilt fight in a parking lot. None of us were ever thrown into a tiger enclosure. You know, so, I mean, there were, it was a lot. The show was a live action cartoon in a lot of ways. And um, we just took, went free reign on what, you know, we, the, we, we started off, Doug Herzog was the president of, of Fox when we started off. He had a very short he had a very short time at, at at the helm, and Malcolm was a, was a favorite of his. And we launched, and we we were we were super popular. And then he got fired. But by that point, our ratings were great. So the next the next guy who came in, I forget who it was, couldn't really give us notes. I mean, they'd give notes, and we'd go, eh, "Nah, we won't take those notes," which you can't do anymore. Now it's like everything. It's it, you have to run everything through the network and the studio. And back then, we would just do, "Let's blow up a car in the desert." And I was like, <laughs> "Yeah," it was like we. We'd write episodes and it was, we would write these episodes with, with five different stories going on with something insane going on. And then every week, almost like clockwork, clockwork, our line producer, Jimmy Simons would walk into the writer's room with the, with the weekly script, drop it on a table and say, unproducible. There's, just, there's no way we can do this. And it was almost every week we could do that. So, all right. So you want us to lose the tiger enclosure or the car explosion or the laser guided B cannon? And he'd say, no, no, you need that. You need that. No, no, you don't want to lose that. Oh, I'll figure it out. And he left and he always figured it out. And we, we almost, <laughs> and we never cut anything. And it was, he always managed to find out some way to do it in the, in the six days we had to shoot the episode on budget. That's awesome. I love that you mentioned the B cannon. Cause that was like one of my first favorite things. And then hearing that Brian Cranston actually wore a suit, like actually let himself get covered in bees. Absolutely. He was game for anything. He was always up anything cheerfully did anything. And it's like, they said, you know, we'll, we'll use the, the we'll use the extra, the stunt guy. He's like, no, I'll do it. He got stung a bunch of times, but he was fine. And it's always bet. I mean, you saw his face and you see mm-hmm. the bees all over. And there's no way you could have faked that back then. The no. CG, I just couldn't do it. But uh, yeah, he was great. Uh, it's not one of our written questions, but uh, I, I have a question for you. And it's a point of contention, both uh, within our podcast and with our audience. Where in your mind is this show set? Paris? <laughs> No, <laughs> <laughs> we ne- we, I don't think there was ne- there was never any snow, right? There was was there ever any snow? It was no. never showed a I winter. don't believe so, but not I, so I know, far. I know that internet sleuths have tried to 
figure out, oh, it's a, his military school was in Alabama and they got there in four hours. And it, it's the same way trying to figure out where, which, which Springfield the Simpsons lived in. So like the, the two, the two big questions I'm always asked is where do they live and what was their last name? And the answer to that is we never discussed it. It wasn't, we didn't make, we didn't try to make it like, oh, we're going to, this is going to be a fun thing. It's, it wasn't like a, an Easter egg. It wasn't, it wasn't ever, it's probably, it was probably poor writing. It's like in, in where it's like, oh, so we'll just have Hal drives down to the military school. And we never thought, oh, but the B story is, is like four hours later. So he had to be there within four hours. We never like thought about that. It's like, okay, he transports over to the military academy. We never <laughs> said, oh, it's got it. We have to figure out that he has to. I assume somewhere in the Midwest, it looks kind of Midwestern. It was, it's, you know, we shot the exterior house was, uh, somewhere on uh in studio city nearby which we'd go to um and much like that family everyone on that block hated the people who own that house because <laughs> we would park trailers and stuff up and down the block and everyone everyone complained that these guys got paid i forget it was like a few grand you know every time we'd we'd go there it definitely paid their mortgage um we had to mess up their lawn a little bit to make it look worse but yeah so Short answer, no idea where they lived. That's amazing. Uh, I'm glad to hear that because that that's what we've suspected. Yeah. I mean, so I'm there, actually glad that there wasn't a concrete answer. There, I mean, there were there were some Easter eggs we planted. I mean, the one that comes to mind is the is the hamster, the hamster ball. Yeah. But that was about it wasn't we didn't want to like play games or or you know, play guessing games with the with the audience, that kind of thing. It was that's not the kind of show it was. We like to it was just whatever, whatever made the story easier to write. I just like that he says Midwest, because now Oklahoma is still fair game i'm firmly in camp they're in oklahoma well then, it, it, then, then they're in oklahoma to you see i love that answer <laughs> so uh th- th- this is a like fairly like uh specific sort of behind the scenes question but uh, how did you guys within the writers room divvy up who would be uh the head writer on each individual episode did you sort of ha- have like preferred characters for uh you know preferred writing teams or how did that get divided up no the the way it usually worked is that it would work by seniority and work its way down usually so the fact i mean linwood himself only wrote two episodes the entire run of the show he wrote the pilot and and then he wrote one other one in season one, which I think was Francis Escapes or something. I'm not sure which one it was, but he was too busy to to write the episodes. He would he would basically he was on set all the time. He was you know the shows were we had obviously every show has a director, but he sat there and basically sat behind the director and told the director what to do and shadow directed every episode for like the first three seasons. But so the way it worked with us is that it, you you would generally work your way down. First episode would be you know the senior co EP and then the then the other co EP and then work your way down that way. And it, and we we broke all the stories together. The way it usually worked we. We sit around in a room and we had these big whiteboards and we would we, we would break it very thoroughly. We would like every cold open Malcolm comes in, says this. We'd have we'd have, a, I'd say, about like half the jokes that would be in a scene written in the, in the room that were up on the board. Very tiny lettering on the board. We'd fill an entire and we we had a system where we we'd do each different storyline in a different color marker. So it by the end of by the end of an episode, we'd have like this giant this giant board filled with tiny writing in all these colors. It looked like a unicorn threw up on the on the blackboard. <laughs> uh, and then and our we had our writer assistant who sat on, at the back of the room and he had a pair of sunglass a pair of binoculars. 
So that, that, that's how we read the tiny writing. And we would break the entire story. And, you know, the scripts were like 30, 32 pages. The notes that whoever was writing that episode would go out with was probably 70 pages of notes. Because so how would it go? We, we would break the story while Lynn was on set. And during lunches and during breaks, he'd come back, he'd come into the room and we start pitching him what we have. Okay. So, and whoever was actually, I was usually on the board. So I would usually be up there and I'd say, okay, so what happens is um, we start with Malcolm and, you know, Malcolm comes in and says this, and then, and then Reese is there and Hal walks in and he'd say, he'd either say, okay, that's good. Or he'd make adjustments or stuff like that. And we'd go through, it would usually take three or four hours to go through the entire outline. But, and he, and he would always be getting called back to stage. And sometimes, sometimes we're like in the middle of a scene, I'm pitching him. So, so Malcolm's Malcolm walks in with a, with a book and says, and then he'd get called out. And then we don't see him for three days. <laughs> He's gone for three days on set. And then he would, he had a photographic memory. So he would come back in, in the, we'd be, you know, working on other stuff. He'd come back in, sit down on the couch. And go, okay. Malcolm came in with a book and says, what? He remembered exactly where we left off. And, <laughs> and, and finally we'd we'd, Right, you know, he'd okay every basically every every scene, and he would tell us, okay, that scene's like a page and a third, and so you, when we were writing, you'd have to aim for a page and a third. So, and that's how we wrote we wrote each episode. And then you'd go out, you'd write a draft, you'd give it to him, he would give you notes, you'd go out write a second draft. Then the entire staff would see the 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 script, and everyone would pitch more jokes on it and stuff like that. And then did we do table reads? We stopped doing table reads early on, which was a nice luxury. It was basically I don't know if you guys know, basically on most shows, you do a table read the week before you go into production and then you like, oh, jokes that didn't work, you you refit, you, you know, fiddle with and you make more changes and stuff like that. But we were usually by the time we went, by the time we went into production, that was, it was locked down. That's, that was it. There were like no changes being made after that. That's how we did it. It wasn't like, oh, I'm one of the writers is good at writing Craig jokes or something like that. Because we we all broke those together. And then it was basically just assembling the script. I mean, there's uh, that's a that, that's being a little facetious. You'd have you'd go away with 65, 70 percent of, of what you're going to put in the script in your notes and stuff like that. And then you had some room to, you know, to add your own touches and stuff like that. So what is, was it a cathartic process for Linwood to get all this out, you know, since it was so related to his childhood or was it kind of painful to, you know, talk about this stuff? Well, I think I once described Linwood as a, as a robot, which is, <laughs> which is kind of the way he, um, for, for seven years, he wore jeans and a, and a blue t-shirt. Wasn't really the emotional kind of guy. He was very, very rational, super smart. And just, I wouldn't say that he was like, I don't think he was exercising any demons, but that way. I think he just, he knew what he liked, knew what he wanted. I don't think he, he made it very personal after that. Do you still stay in regular contact with any of the cast members? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I, after Malcolm, I worked on, well, I worked on Sons of Tucson, which, uh, Justin Burfield was a producer on. He didn't act in it, but he became a producer after Malcolm. And then let's see, I did a show, a show that never aired in in the states. It's it's aired in South Africa and somewhere else that I guess loves terrible television. That's the only reason I didn't didn't air. But it was a show called Us and Them, which we shot in New York, and Jane was in it. So I so I worked with her again there. And then I worked. I I ran. I was executive producer and ran a show that Brian Cranston created about two years ago called The Dangerous Book for Boys. So I saw him way too much back then. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's a man with lots of thoughts. Lots of thoughts. I'd wake up every morning with an email, with a two-page email that he wrote at like two in the morning. 
Uh, well, it was, I would say that it was like, oh, he must be, because he was always all over the world. He was in London doing a, a play. He was in New York for, for the show. He was in LA for other stuff. So he was always somewhere. And I'm like, I get an email at like two in the morning. I'm like, oh, it must have been daytime wherever he was when he wrote it. I'm like, oh, no, he wrote it here in New York. He was up at two in the morning thinking about the show. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I'm I'm making, you know, I'm making it sound worse than it was. He's a great guy and it was a great it was great to collaborate and work with him, but yeah, I I'm still uh, regularly in touch with him. I just uh, texted him a couple of weeks ago. Who else? I have not I've not spoken to Frankie recently. I haven't seen him. We had a there was a reunion. It was a Zoom reunion a few months ago where I saw most of the most of the cast for a little bit, but I'm definitely in touch with uh, plenty of the writers and I'm good friends with a lot of the writers who I worked with there. I, I think, I think that was the, the best, the best writers room I've worked in with, with guys who I became very close with and, and still maintain a relationship with. I've worked with, I worked with plenty of funny people, plenty of hilarious people over the years, but this was, we, a lot of us, there were, there were guys who were there for six years, five years and stuff like that. And worked with uh, like Al Higgins and uh, Neil, Neil Thompson and Gary Murphy and I'd split up with my partner around season five, somewhere in season four, me and my partner, I, I had been thinking about going alone. And um, I went to my partner and said, maybe we should develop separately this season because we were going to, and he, he came back to me and said, let's make it an even break because he wanted to go do drama. So he went off to do drama. So I, I think the last two and a half or last three years, I was on my own on, on the show, but I'm still obviously friends with him and stuff. So definitely the writers there that I most Alex Reed, um, Andy Bobro, Eric Kaplan, everyone went off to to do great things and stuff like that. So lots of good memories from that. Definitely when I think back to like the highlight of my career, at least so far, that would be it. I mean, definitely there, there was an episode of Better Off Ted that that I wrote that a lot of people talk about, but the mo- most things that people ask me about are are about Malcolm. Well, so why do you show. Think personally that it still has stayed, remained so relevant after 20 years? I mean, there's things that obviously take place. It puts it very firmly within the time period that it first aired, but it's still most of it uh, still hits and resonates still. So why do you think it's still relevant? It's kind of locked into time to me, I think, because I think it's it's about family and it's about the relationship with the family. And there wasn't there weren't like topical stories and stuff like that. It's like you can watch it. Oh, yeah, sure. Like the, the cell phones look different and stuff like that. And But the stories themselves were all character based and relationship based. And I think you know, we took we took everything to the farthest degree, but I think a lot of people could relate to in relate in some way to at least one of the five stories we were, we were telling that week. You know, again, most likely not. Oh, I was in a stilt fight or that kind of thing. But there, we always went for some kind of emotional connection. You know, father, son, mother, son, brother, brother, kind of thing. And you know, that's what that's what made it personal to me for sure. Great answer. And also, I just think, I mean, laugh for laugh. I would put that show up against anything. It's it, you watch a like most of the single cam shows these days that are on the air. You like watch it. Like, oh, you know, it's like a movie, and you know they do some interesting things sometimes with the camera. But we just went nuts. It was just we used the camera as basically a character, and we just uh, it, it was just. Like I said, it was like a live action cartoon and it was just wall to wall jokes and funny situations. I absolutely love one of the things that I've loved so much about the show is you're talking about using the camera as a joke. And not only that, but the physical comedy, Um, you know, you have Brian Cranston, who is just absolutely phenomenal. But even the kids and and Jane Kaczmarek and, and so many of the actors, there's so many 
physical bits within the stories that you guys wrote that just add that extra detail i think and that make it so relatable so funny i even the episodes that not to say that there's a bad episode but the the lower like less memorable episodes that we've watched there's not a single episode that i didn't laugh at at least two or three times in such a short period of time Mm -hmm. yeah and i'm not sure why why people went away from that that it's that you i mean these you watch a sitcom to laugh. You, you watch the you, studio and network execs think you watch a, a sitcom to for many other reasons. But for the reason I watch one is is to laugh. And I want to, you know, I want to like the characters and I want to, you know, relate to some of the characters and stuff. But I want to laugh. And that's that's what we that's what we wanted people to do. And that that was the most important thing. And, you know, we tried to find something physical in almost every scene we tried you know whether it was a reaction or a slip or a fall or you know whatever or the boys up on the roof or Hal throwing up into a porch or whatever whatever it was or yeah or him washing washing the car with his with his boobs and you know it we always you know we we always tried to find what what is the the funniest damn thing we can do in this scene and every draft made it funnier and every everyone just you know worked like hell to make it as funny as possible well i definitely think your hard work paid off <laughs> thank you <laughs> i was just gonna say before the it ran the the gauntlet you were talking about like physical comedy but it also had so many great really smart intelligent jokes so like, you can go from lowest common denominator up to like mensa level entertainment you know level jokes it was it's just so great and that's one thing that you guys I, I just can't commend you enough for it was just so wonderful it just really set the bar we wanted to appeal to I, we we premiered and i think we spent most of our most of our our, our air airing on 7 30s on sunday because they aimed at they for whatever reason they thought you know it's it's a kids show it's an adult show it's it's for everyone and we went for jokes for for everyone we, you know we wanted kids to enjoy it and we wanted jokes that went over kids heads that adults would get and stuff like that so yeah we and we definitely you know went for emotion whenever when we could and stuff like that it was a lot of people said that it was the it was a show where you, the parents loved absolutely loved each other and it was evident and like in most you know married with children was on the air and stuff and it's, the, the you know couples bickered and stuff like that but you know there was there was a lot going on there was a lot of yelling at each other but Hal and Lois absolutely loved each other and it was like them against the world and it's it was yeah, them first and then the kids and then the world and stuff like that so it was again something I think people could relate to and you know just seeing how much they cared for each other and how important they were to each other for sure even for the boys too you know as much as they were always at each other's throats and trying to one-up each other at the end of the day you know if one of them was in real danger you knew that they always had each other's back because they were family and brothers and i think that came across really well too yeah unless unless it was reese involved then it's like <laughs> you never know you never know but yeah it's uh you know the enemy of your enemy is your friend and, or whatever however that goes but uh yeah it's like they could be fighting with each other and it's basically like in lois's birthday that they're, they're fighting with each other until the clowns come in and then <laughs> and then it's uh everyone eats the clowns i i love i love the clown fight <laughs> That, that was the most phenomenal scene. I I think that's where I really started to like fall in love with this show was Lois's birthday because exactly for everything you just said, you know, my parents were so much like I see a lot of, although it's kind of flipped, my dad acts more like <laughs> Hal or less like Hal and more like uh, Lois. But anyways, uh, mm-hmm. it's that sort of dynamic of, you know, it's they're very close. They 
no matter what happens, they're always going to find a way to make it work. And, uh, you know, my mom may yell out the back door and call us all hellions and tell us that we're absolutely the worst children in the world. But if anyone else said that, you know, she's dragging you down the alley and putting you in your place. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. That was Lois. I forget. The clown called Lois wide ride because mm-hmm. <laughs> she, she didn't accept the apology. <laughs> Did you just call my wife wide ride? And then there's just so many levels because you could go like in a lot of shows. All right, there's a there's a fight with the clowns, and that that's your comedy. But then we turned it into a slow motion fight with Kenny Rogers, <laughs> <laughs> and then Lois is watching, happy that that they're you know they're fighting for her for her honor and stuff. There's just so many levels of comedy going on. And Dewey hiding under the table and eating the while he's biting the the clown's ankle. Yeah, that was a, that was a great scene. There are some. I yeah, there are some scenes that just stay in my mind as just absolutely hilarious. I remember I don't remember what episode it was in. I don't know if you got to it yet, but uh, there's an episode where the boys sneak out at night and they put they blow up balloons and put their they put a balloon uh, under the under the the blankets to make it look like their heads are there. And <laughs> I think this was health scare because then Hal comes in it's dark he sits down and he start he has this talk with the boys who he thinks are sleeping and talk about how much he loves them and how much he cares for them and you know you'll never know how much i love you and maybe that's the way it's supposed to be while well, they're not there and and then he leans over to, to kiss malcolm and the balloon pops and Hal starts screaming and Dewey wakes up and looks over a monster in his in the other bit and he starts screaming. And it's just it is such it is such a beautiful thought what Halvin is what what uh what Hal is saying to the kids, and then you pop it, you 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 take the air out of it with the with the, the comedy after that. And that's what we love to do, is you know, a teaspoon of sugar. I think we've pretty much run through our uh, planned questions. Did you have any more, Eric? Yeah, I had the one about, uh, I understand, you know, you're friends with a lot of uh, those writers still, so you don't want to step on any toes. So I understand if you keep it vague or don't want to answer, but were there any kind of plot lines or character arcs that developed that you didn't particularly care for that you would have liked to see go in a different direction? I would say generally with Alaska was it seemed like a fun idea. And then we got there and we, I mean, Lavernia was uh, fun. We had, yeah, we had some, there was Lavernia and then it was the old guy and I forget, but it was just, we killed ourselves trying to come up with a story. Like what, what the hell do you do in Alaska? And we, we came up with some <laughs> crazy ones. I remember there was the, uh, where there was the, he became known as the, the rat killer. That was, was that, in, I think that was in how quick also, wasn't it? Where, <laughs> and there's the blind old, old miner or old logger who is like starts talking about there's some there's an old old story about some rat that <laughs> i don't even remember what it was but it was just those stories were just insane and it was because we were so frustrated and couldn't <laughs> couldn't figure out uh, we there was a, some they had an ho- ice hockey game against there was who had magic johnson <laughs> yes <he>. big yeah <laughs> It, it that that yeah i don't i don't remember how many seasons he was in alaska but that was just insane and then and then we put him on the the dude ranch which also was like just, just ridiculous stories but i mean i guess we had fun with otto otto and gretchen they they were they were fun but that that was the least fun part of of uh 
of the storytelling to us. It was just like, all right, we need we need eight pages of some Francis story. What the hell? What the hell are him and Otto gonna do this time? All right, let's get him trapped in a mine or so trapped in a <laughs> I guess you haven't gotten there yet to the to the dude ranch. So I won't I won't I won't spoil anything, but there's it, it's already been spoiled in advance. It's right. <laughs> well Jake and I know full well what you're talking about. We've seen yeah right, run off right. a couple of times, but David's just catching up for the first time. Yeah. So. so I mean so I would say when Francis came home, it was always great and stuff like that. But for us, and then military school was fun. After that, and then oh my god, okay, again, I'm not going to spoil what's in 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 store for for Francis. But let's say there there is a there is a woman who comes into his life that also just in theory would be a great character, and then in sorry in execution was just not so easy to come up with with hilarious <laughs> story for them. So I'd I'd say that was where. That was where we had the most trouble. Everywhere, everywhere else, I would say we had, as things went on, we had the most trouble coming up with stories for Malcolm because everyone else had distinctive comedic takes that we could, you know, whether it was Reese with cooking or being a bully or being dumb or Hal with whatever, and, and even Lois and Dewey and stuff like that. Malcolm, Malcolm was the least interesting character to us as things went on. As 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 a young actor, he was great at just spitting out reams of dialogue. He was really good at that. And we, you know, we gave him lots of very smart things to say and that kind of thing. But as he, and I think a lot of fans felt the same way that he became a very annoying character that all he did was complain. And <laughs> that was basically that was basically what we had we we looked for ways to you know to make him more interesting and make him more likable and stuff but that was just we kind of painted ourselves into a corner a little bit so he was hard to come up with with stories for that weren't just him complaining but uh again we would all right i guess well you know he he bitches about this but then hal rents a steam steamroller so <laughs> it's awesome and i love to hear you say that because that is i i always argue with jake because uh we do a thing where we give awards for each episode and one of them is the least shitty kid of the episode and I the most swear? oh my god i've been watching my tongue i can swear yeah oh no absolutely oh, you can absolutely swear <laughs> 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 yeah we uh, okay, yeah we we uh we have the 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 least <laughs> shitty kid and the shittiest kid of each episode uh-huh. and uh i frequently have had to give it to malcolm because he just bitches non-stop yeah i i i would agree so <laughs> you know but he's the star of the show it's hard to it's hard to make the the star of your show a dick and we managed to do that so we yeah i mean i think you'll notice you know there a lot of times there were coa stories and stuff like that and we usually tried to put malcolm front and center but we that still would be you know since there are five stories going on it still would only be a you know less than half of the show so it, it, we, we figured out ways to make him palatable at least yeah i think the other krell boys, especially stevie are a great way to do that. I, I think some of my favorite episodes just sort of center around Stevie calling Malcolm on his bullshit and how whiny he is are just some of my all-time favorite moments in the show. Yeah, uh, he, he was a fun character to write for. Um, as an actor, he did not love having to... He, he kept pitching, what if they fix me? <laughs> uh, <laughs> what if they come up with a cure? <laughs> like a talk like a normal person. <laughs> Um, we're like, yeah, we'll think about that. Maybe next season. Maybe next season. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
we kept coming up with, I mean, I, I don't blame him. We kept coming up with, with like different ways that, that he was debilitated and that would be embarrassing. <laughs> so I remember a, a line I pitched, which was early on, which was they were a bunch of the Krellboins were hanging around. Like, should we watch porn? And he's like, can we do something where everyone can be involved? <laughs> like he, like he had no feeling from the waist <laughs> down or something. Oh, <laughs> or Stevie. But I, I, I think, uh, I think it was beginning. It was in season two. I wrote uh, dinner out where they go out for dinner with with the Carnarvons. And one of our, one of the things that what, so we introduced the circle game in that in that episode. And we had been playing that in the room for probably the entire first season. One of the writers, Al Higgins, had played it when he was a kid, and he introduced it to us. And we're like, as he's explained to us, we're saying, this is the stupid what the hell he's he's explaining like by the time he finished explaining five of us were in and we spent <laughs> the next five months pounding the shit out of each other and I'm, I'm saying it wasn't like gentle punches we were i we'd punch each other out of chairs <laughs> coming up with new ways to one of us came in with a box of donuts and had cut a hole in the bottom of the box and opened it and he had his hand and then uh al got me once he was driving in a car in front of me and did it out of the car so we put it in an episode <laughs> and it quickly caught on around the country. And, and, and someone sent us a bunch of articles from different schools where they had, they had to ban it in schools because they, because <laughs> it caught on because of that. And there, it was uh, one of my proudest moments. <laughs> yep. It, uh, it definitely uh, remained in my childhood all through pretty much. Yeah. From 2001 through forever um i still occasionally have old childhood friends who you know will go hang out or catch up at a, a get a drink or something and they'll they'll oh i made you look and then you know punch you in the shoulder yeah 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 i still play with my brother and <laughs> ever we get together one of us eventually one of us eventually whips it out yeah what else can i tell you did we go through everything on the list here, Jake? My list is all. Uh, I believe now. so. Okay. Uh, I think we just have the except one for the last... one that we were saving for last. Yeah. I say yeah. The last. The last question. I, I realistically, I could probably sit here and think of questions for hours. This show has. I mean, well, we spend literally what two, three hours every week at least, and that's if we only record one episode. You know, talking about and watching Malcolm in the Middle right now every week, and it's it's amazing. I love it. I. Um, it it is very flattering to hear that night. And over the years, I've gotten, I've just gotten random emails and on Reddit, random notes on Reddit of people talking about how it got them through their their teenage years and how someone wrote me. I, I wrote the episode on Burning Man, which you haven't seen yet, which is coming. Nope. But someone wrote me and said that it's they watch it every year at Burning Man. So it's like, <laughs> I, I can't believe that you know, that it has this lasting effect on on uh, so many people, and it's uh, I'm very proud to have been involved in something like that. That's another of my favorites it, guys to come on and discuss. So you got the trifecta. <laughs> You're one of my favorites, obviously. Yeah, Malcolm the Middle is a, it's one of those shows that's been with me for like most of my life. Like my family watched it together, you know, day one when it premiered, and I've just been like perpetually rewatching it since then, like like basically my entire life. Uh, so. Thank you so much for your contribution to it. That's great. Thank and thank you for for enjoying it and thank you guys for for keeping it alive for I guess the next generation. I think it's it's still on the air somewhere sometime I I assume I'm I'm still getting residual checks so I know that <laughs> Uh, well i know we watch it on hulu uh we don't have actual cable but yeah it's definitely at least available there and uh it's it's been great you know like they said they've 
both seen the show a couple times through. This is my first time watching through, and it's so interesting to see this and be able to relate to these characters and you know talk to my cousin who's an avid fan of the show afterwards and and kind of run through all this stuff because it, it's given me an avenue for so many things that happened in the past and and good memories and bad and just sort of I don't know. It's it's been a really cathartic experience for me watching this and hanging out with them and discussing the show. So I absolutely love it. It is easily now and forever will be in my top three sitcoms in in the world period so thank you so very much and thank you for coming and talking to us this has been amazing and i love your work no thank you guys this is this has been fun i really haven't sat down and talked about the show in a long time so this was it was uh very nice to reminisce well it brought us together as friends you know i reached out to these guys because of the show and now we have a, a very real world friendship based on just the fact that we started talking about malcolm in the middle it's, it's are you all in different cities or where are you guys? I'm uh, so, These guys are Wyoming. Yeah, David and I are cousins, and, we, and we've also been best friends for like our entire lives. I, I always yeah. like to say he's the Stevie to my Malcolm. That's yeah. like, uh, a lot, a lot of my life events parallel Malcolms, and David was sort of the sheltered cousin that my family would uh, sort of kick the shit out of when he came over. That's literally <laughs> true. uh his sister once deflated you know those old like uh blow up uh what do they call them rock'em sock'ems or whatever where they you'd put them on your fist and they were like a a toy in the 90s and you were supposed to punch each other and they were like boxing gloves but not really his sister once deflated some and put them on and coaxed me into boxing her so she could literally just beat the crap out of me bare knuckle and just did not stop it was right. ridiculous, but it was it was character building. That's what we'll call it. That's right. <laughs> All right. Should oh. we uh, should we ask him our our to to nominate our wonderful award? Yeah, go ahead, David. All right. So, like I explained earlier, we we choose every episode uh, who is the shittiest and least shitty kid. So, right. if in your opinion, uh, for the entirety of the series, if you had to pick who was the shittiest Malcolm. kid, Malcolm? Malcolm. Malcolm. Yes. Malcolm. No question. Ah, uh, you're killing me. Yes. No question. <laughs> and who would you say is the least shitty kid? The least shitty kid. You know what? I, I think probably a lot of people say Dewey, but I think Dewey. Especially as things go on, Dewey, Dewey worked for Dewey. Dewey, Dewey you know, he got the shit. In the end, he, Dewey, Dewey handled himself. I would say that the one who had the best intentions was Francis. Wow. Okay. Excellent. Okay. I, I, <laughs> I, I honestly, I didn't here. expect that. He was a wild guy. He did some crazy stuff. But he's the one who always thought that you got to fight for fairness. You got to stand for the little guy. His his idea of what's right wasn't always necessarily sane or you know, what I would do. But he had the best intentions. He always had the best intentions. The worst outcomes with the best intentions. Jake and okay. I have uh, rallied behind guy Francis up against David, who is always trying to cast aspersions on him. Look, Dewey is a perfect angel. And as far as I've made it into the series, Dewey is a perfect angel. And you can't convince me otherwise. Maybe later. Maybe he gets corrupted. But yeah, I think, uh, yeah, he takes he takes a dark turn. You'll see. Yeah, it gets really ugly. <laughs> all right. Well, again, thank you so much. Uh, and thank you for confirming all of my thoughts of Malcolm, Jake. Uh, <laughs> but we we absolutely love that you took the time to, to sit down with us and come on the show. And uh, we, we honestly, we can't thank you enough. This has been amazing. Yeah. 
happy to do it. Yeah, and one more time, uh, go ahead and plug the show that you're working on now for us. Oh, I write for The the Neighborhood, which is on CBS uh, Monday nights at 8. Check it out. Okay, everyone, make sure to check that out. Absolutely. I'm going to have to start watching that. I watch a lot of TV on the weekends. so It's a fun show. All right. All right. Okay, guys. I guess I'm signing off. All right. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Bye, guys. All right. Well, that was amazing. Holy shit. That that was incredible. And that, um, that was great. Real quick, uh, unless you guys have more to talk about about that interview. Uh, Eric, do you want to go ahead and plug uh, where people can find you as well, please? Yeah, they've heard it enough. File Entertainment wow. Podcast. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Go check I'll out our friends, Eric and Dylan, File Under Entertainment Podcast. They're a great group of guys discussing movies and soon to be music, which I can't wait for. It's a very entertaining show. Uh, and also, if you want to catch us live and sit down and have chats similar to this one with us, head on over to twitch.tv slash LP where we stream video games and interact with our chat. Okay, uh, I guess I should uh, throw in our usual. Uh, you can reach us on Twitter uh, where we are unfair underscore podcast and where we put up our weekly shittiest and least shitty kid polls. So you, you can let us know what you think uh, on these uh, perpetual never ending arguments. And you can also reach us by email where we are lifeisunfairpod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. And remember, life is unfair.